Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I'm here tonight to do a The Review episode of the new Wizards of the Coast hardback supplement book, Eberron, Rising from the Last War. Joining me tonight is Tom, Brad, and Shane. We're going to talk all about the book and tell you all about it, maybe what you like, what we don't like, and if you should get it. Uh, I'll start with Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone so they know your voice. How's it going? People... Whenever, yeah, they know my voice now. (laughs) All right, Brad, say it all, everyone, so they know your voice. Hey, everybody, how you doing? And uh, both Tom and Brad obviously are part of the RPG Academy faculty. You have probably heard their voices before. The fourth voice tonight, you should have also heard before because he's been on the show before, but it's Shane from the Total Party Thrill Podcast. So Shane, say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And then for anyone who is not yet initiated in the Total Party Thrill Podcast, give us the high-level elevator pitch for your show. Uh, we are an RPG discussion podcast. Uh, every episode, we recap one of uh, our home games. We also talk about you know RPG play, design, build topics, um, and then we also build a twentieth level character uh, in fifth edition D anD D, inspired by something from outside of D anD D. So we've built Batman, we've built Overwatch characters, we've built um, just a whole bunch of really silly things as well. Um, so yeah. It's a good it's a good podcast. You won't know too much about mechanics. Uh okay. <laughs> I feel like Twitter has reminded me how little I know of mechanics. Okay, is this true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think if, if you enjoy what we do here but wish we actually knew what we were talking about. <laughs> the Total Party Thrill Podcast is a great example of people who know what they're talking about. And do it in a well and interesting way. Um, but again, we're, we're, we'll tell you to go there where, where, when you need to, because they've also done a very in-depth review of the Eberron book. We're not going to go quite in-depth here, but if you want more and want more specifics, that would be a great resource. And there'll be links in our show notes to get you to the right places for that. Uh, but before I turn it over to Tom, I'm going to jump around in your outline because I want to and I can because it's my show. So, Tom. <laughs> What do you know about Eberron? Before you start reading the book, what is your experience with Eberron? Have you ever played it before? Do you know anything about it? What What's your experience with Eberron up until now? I've listened to Total Party Thrill and heard Shane talk about it. <laughs> like okay. I know, okay. I know, I knew nothing about Eberron. Literally, other than Shane's and Ishan's their recaps of their Eberron campaign, and then. Then I didn't even know what they were talking about. That's how little I knew <laughs> about Eberron. I knew it had um, it had flying ships, and everybody said it was steampunk, but it's not – I don't know. We'll talk about that. But it's – and they had metal people, but <laughs> that was – that. that's my basis right there. All right. And then what about you, Brad? What is your experience with Eberron? I have played in – I don't know. I guess two Eberron games. Um, I ran one of them, uh, played in another. I, well, technically three, I guess, um, a- including uh, um, the game where we met. I forgot about that one, yeah. But I definitely played three. I've read a lot of source material from at least, you know, the three five days. And uh, that's pretty much my exposure to it. All right. And Shane. What about you? What was your experience and exposure to Eberron up until this point? Well, as as Tom alluded to, so the first campaign that we recapped on Total Party Thrill, like episodes one through seventy six, were um, our campaign, our Eberron campaign in fifth edition, um, called Morning Glory, 
where we played from like the fifth edition playtest through the release of fifth edition in what was very much all homebrew Eberron stuff because there was no actual support. Um, and then since then, we've gone back and played a second campaign in our Eberron setting, like that went parallel to um, our events of Morning Glory. So I've played like eh, like four years of Eberron uh, from levels one to twenty. So I, it's not my favorite setting, but I will <laughs> say it is the setting I know the most about, <laughs> and I do love it. <laughs> yes, excellent. Uh, and as for myself, I, I've said many times, Eberron is my favorite D and D setting, and and the and even saying that, there's a, there's a little bit of a caveat. It's because I don't like any other D and D setting. I think most D and D settings are bad. I really like Eberron, so even though it's my favorite, the, the, there's a huge gulf between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading uh, Eberron when it came out. I still have a ton of 3.5 books. Um, and that was one of my concerns going into this is, is this book necessary or can I just flip to one of the 14 source books I already have? Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but I've never really gotten to play in an Eberron game. I'll put an asterisk right there because most of the time I'm the only one that's familiar with it. I'm the one that's read it. So if we play Eberron, I have to run it, which I want to do because I like Eberron, but I would, I want to play in it. But every game I run, even if it's not Eberron, it's kind of Eberron. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Super Bowl commercial a couple of years ago. It's the It's a Tide commercial, which is actually really funny, where they would just break into a different commercial and be like, do you see any stains on that shirt? It's actually a Tide commercial. Every campaign I run, somewhere in there, it's an Eberron campaign, uh, including Dark Discovery, which is the most recent one that came out because it involved basically Warforged and flying ships. I mean, it was, it was basically Eberron. But I got to play in one bad really bad Eberron game. It was probably the worst campaign I've ever played in. Uh, but Brad and Mai's friendship was forged in the fires of that terrible, terrible game, which we've talked a lot about, particularly in the older episodes. Uh, it was just one of the worst games I've ever played in. Like that DM did literally everything you could think of. That's a bad thing to do. They did. Uh, they included the NPC who did everything for us, which we called the pantless wonder because it was a frog person who could, just literally kill anything. We just walked around behind him. He also wore no pants. He wore no pants, uh, which was why he's called the Pantless Wonder, uh, and just did everything. We just want, walked around and just like talked to each other while he Tony played the game by himself with this NPC doing stuff. It was awful. I actually want to hear more about this game. Can we do <laughs> yeah. that as like a, <laughs> oh, as a Patreon episode? No. <laughs> it's plenty of episodes we cover how bad this game was. It, it's really bad. Big fan so, of Tony. Big fan yeah. of Tony. <laughs> but again, I love Eberron. Hey, t- Tony was and, a good guy. Good person, bad <laughs> But anyway, so we're here to talk about Eberron rising from the last war. So Tom, take it away for the actual organized part of the show. Absolutely, Michael. But real quick, I do want to go back to something that Shane said. So you have played Eberron since 5th edition, but did you have any experience with Eberron before that? Because I know you've been playing RPGs for a long time. Did you have any previous experience with Eberron? So, famously, my my first character that I played in Eberron was uh, named Brantelandro. He was an Inquisitor of the Silver Flame, which is one of the churches. Uh, he was started out as a cleric. Um, I chose that because I saw the composition of the party and thought, "Oh, there's lots of undead in Eberron. I'm gonna. It's obviously it's good to have a cleric because I thought Eberron was Ravenloft." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I'm like, well, there are some undead, right? But there's not like a lot of them. There's a whole nation of undead with an yeah. undead army, but like, 
not a huge theme of uh you know <laughs> at least not compared to Ravenloft. So yeah, no, that was um I had some remedial like catch up to do. Okay, all right. So some learn from mistakes. All right, so perfect. So we've kind of t- talked a little bit about it, but Shane, can you give us the the high level overview of what is the Eberron campaign setting? Yeah, so Eberron was created by Keith Baker uh, as a entry into like the Wizards of the Coast contest to create the next new campaign setting. So one of the parameters of that meant that it had to include everything that existed for D&D had to have a place in the setting. Um, so in that sense, it's a very like wide-reaching kind of kitchen sink. But what makes Eberron cool and like contrasts with like high fantasy settings like your Forgotten Realms and whatnot is the idea that um, you are like kind of pulp adventurers. You have a lot of like noir elements, and then magic is industrialized like a technology, which is I think what gives rise to that sort of steampunk aesthetic, right? That like because there is something of an industrial age um, in Eberron, and magic has been solved like a science. There are just a lot of like magic solves a lot of problems. Um, low level magic is common, but high level magic is rare and very powerful. Yeah, there is a definitely a lot to Eberron, and what they do with this book is they try to squeeze it all into a hefty 320 pages, and they do a pretty good job about that. Just some some quick facts real quick. There are three lead designers and then five writers on this. Uh, that's a lot less than Avernus's 15, but uh, that's another thing. Um, there is a front and back um, large tear-out flip map, one that shows the continent of Corvair, and then the other side shows all of the all the other continents of of the is it the world of Eberron. the The world's called Eberron, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I'm going to be asking a lot of these remedial questions tonight. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of the basis of it. So it's broken down into six chapters. We've got a, and then an introduction. We have the introduction chapter. We've got a chapter on character creation within Eberron. And then a couple chapters or a few chapters about the world of Eberron, some magic items, and then some monsters. So we start things off with the introduction chapter, which is welcome to Eberron. It talks about how to use this book. What is Eberron? A lot of what Shane has said, it's a pulp, lots of pulp adventures. And so as somebody who has never, who knows nothing about Eberron, I'm like, oh, welcome to Eberron. This is going to be informative. And so I started flipping through this first section and there is a lot to know about Eberron that they expect you to know about Eberron before reading the Welcome to Eberron section. So there is a, there's a massive introduction. There is a lot of names in this book. There's a lot of nations in this book. There's a lot of moving pieces in Eberron. So they try to do a, a just a high-level overview of this introduction. So what do you all think about the introduction? So as someone who I, I don't claim to have the knowledge that that Shane does, but I've I've been interested in the the setting for a long time. I've read a lot about it, I've read some of the novels. I thought those first like 20 pages were eye-crossingly dense, and I already knew most of it, and I'm like I'm having a hard time getting through these first 20 pages. I could imagine reading this and not having any, any knowledge. I don't know how you would get through it. Trial and air, a lot of flipping back and forth. <laughs> so anyway, Brad, what'd you think? Uh, I agree. Um, there's definitely a lot to it. Um, it's definitely dense, but I really didn't consider it from someone who 
approaching it from someone who doesn't have a, a, a basis in Eberron. I can definitely see why it might be a little bit hard um, to grasp, but it, you almost need like a uh, a glossary kind of at the front that they have for you know some of those some of the older books with hey these are all the players and these are why they're important. You, you know what I mean? Like a, a, a one to two thing that you could flip back and forth to. Maybe an index. Uh, That's but, the word. <clears throat> yeah. The <laughs> Shane, what is this a what do you think of is this a good introduction for Eberron here? So I like the first two pages, um, because they do load you up with a bunch of proper nouns, um, which are a little bit underexplained, but they give you the context for them. And like that's the sort of thing where like you read it and you're like, that sounds cool. Where can I learn more about that, you know, Korenberg University, right? Um, or the library of Korenberg or whatever it is, right? Like or dragon marks those sound rad tell me more right so like i like that section and then yeah you're right it kind of jumps into this real weird minutia like do i really care about the name of the languages or the calendar months in the very first chapter like sell me sell me eberron first before you get into that detail right yeah i so i definitely appreciated them they had a small section about the last war which this whole campaign setting is set after this massive hundred year war within eberron so they laid that groundwork out and then they also include a small section about the morning this the this massive tragic event that basically destroyed one of the nations of eberron they also include a section on the draconic prophecy but they just kind of it's just some mumbo jumbo stuff for the draconic <laughs> prophecy that we're not supposed to understand yet but that's okay so overall i think it was it was a little bit confusing but kind of using the rest of the book i was able to get there but that leads us up to this massive chunk of chapter one which is character creation well i wanted to talk just a little bit about that introduction as well so i have the the fourth edition version of the campaign everyone got as well and and i understand that the release strategy is very different and yada 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 but i really liked the way the fourth edition did release the eberron books because there were two main source books there was a campaign guide and then there was a player's handbook and what i really liked about it is the player's guide was full of information that was not true it was all the things that you think are true based off of the world and the campaign guide had all the actual information about the world and i really enjoyed the way that was set up and it wasn't like you're trying to manipulate or, or you know trick the players but there are things that you think you know about the world because it's what's presented but then the campaign guide gave you the sort of the secrets behind it and i just i liked that a lot better this being one book it has to serve two masters for lack of a better word of saying it you have to be, have the information for a player and their information for the for the gm which i think is one reason why it's so thick and it's so dense one of the things I thought was interesting, like one of the very first things in the book is it has seven like um, rules or seven you know things about this book. But in earlier editions, there was 10 or 12. So they've consolidated some of those lists down. And I, 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 don't, I don't know why they did. I, I was trying to flip through and try to figure out what exactly they changed. Uh, but I noticed right away that there were less of those. And I may be wrong. I, I tried to read as much of the book as I could. I've read most of it, but I have not read it page per page. But one of the things I love about Eberron that is called out in the other editions is that the PCs, even at first level, are some of the most powerful people in the game. As a contrast to like Forgotten Realms, 
that is full of like, you know, 15th and 20th level people that are just busy doing other stuff. And that's why they constantly need you to go do things. Eberron at like fifth level, you are the powerful forces. Even at first level, you're pretty powerful. Did I miss that, Shane? Is that in there or not? Uh, that is actually, it's mentioned um, when they talk about Pulp Adventure, but it's the very last sentence of that section. Okay, so I'm, I may have missed that one, but I, I think that's a very valuable thing to know about. I think that's one of the things that makes this a very different setting is that you are already, like, there's no one else to call. You can't just hope that you run into Elminster because there is no Elminster in this version. It's pretty much you. If you can't solve the problem, it's not getting solved. And I just think that's a very interesting aspect of the, the the campaign that I'm glad it's in there. I guess I wish it was more prominent or bolded for people like me who can't read very well, I guess. Well, in your defense, there's a lot there. Yeah, there is. There's absolutely a lot. I definitely like how they they do that, though. They set up what an Eberron campaign kind of looks like, and they kind of lay out these kind of flag posts that you want to shoot for, such as Pulp. You want to make sure there's a DM tip here make everything high stakes. So if you're on an airship, you want a cool fight, make the airship start crashing to the ground, you know? So that, that's definitely, I like that. I like when the, the first transformer movie came out, a, a friend of mine asked me if it was any good. And I said, you're either into a movie about giant robots that turn into cars or you're not. I feel the same thing about Eberron. You're either into a campaign that features magical robots, electric trains, and airships. Either you're in or you're out at that point. Everything else is just gravy. And for me, I am totally in. Right. I think those are three elements that I want in my game, and I want those to be prominent in those games. Fair enough. So, All right. So anyway, to your question, no, chapter one. Yeah, no, jump in, when, uh, jump in whenever. I want to hear your all's thoughts on this, especially chapter one. So I'm just going to go over some of the elements of the character creation, some of the new yes. stuff. Again, I'm not going to get into too much detail. Uh, but one of the things that you're going to choose in this version is whether or not you have a dragon mark. And dragon marks are this, they're basically like magical tattoos that started showing up, you know, thousands of years ago, more prominently on certain certain races and certain ones. And it's allowed those, you know, houses, as they've kind of became known, uh, to have an advantage. They have an economical or magical advantage to do a certain thing, which has given them power and they become the most powerful mercenaries and, and merchants of that particular thing, whether it be like guarding, finding, healing, uh, travel. And so those are basically the, they're the dominant house is a very political entry, Game of Thronesian sort of situation. And you have the ability to choose whether or not you have one. Um, and that will make, a, that will, it's kind of like a background, I guess, in, in fifth edition. It's going to say a lot about your character and talk a lot about the types of adventures you're probably going to be involved in if you have one and which one. There are also racial restrictions. Certain races can or cannot have certain dragon marks. So if you want a certain dragon mark, you are restricted to which ones you can play. Um, again, as the DM, you can always do whatever the hell you want. But within the lore of the game, again, half-orcs, can only get a particular one or not, that type of thing. They've added a new class, the Artificer, uh, which is, so I guess I'll ask Brad, because I know if not, I'll talk too much. Uh, I know you've played Artificers before. How would you describe an Artificer to someone who's not familiar with that term? I would describe them as a magical engineer who makes stuff, who makes magic items in particular. They, they can use magic, um, 
They can cast spells, per se, but it's always through a mundane item. It's not like they don't whip out a... Uh, uh, they don't like whip out a fireball by making silly, you know, making you know gestures in the in the air or whatnot. They they channel it through some sort of a thing, whether it's a gadget they made, a wand or uh, whatnot. Um, but yeah, they're they're basically the in a way they're really the craftsmen that make the world kind of Eberron kind of go around because they make all the stuff. Yeah, they're kind of like mad scientists yeah. from other settings. They just make crazy inventions that work maybe supernaturally. And you can flavor that how you want. I think infusions is the mechanical term for what they do. Uh, and then we have some additional races. You can play Gobbinoids in Eberron, both Bugbear, Hobgoblin, and Goblins. All three are playable races. Uh, changelings, which are, they're like somewhat like doppelgangers. They have a limited ability to change their uh, identity, uh, their gender, their basically what they look like then you have kalistar which is a very sort of science fictiony uh race but basically you're a symbiote person with a uh psychic how well i guess it's a spirit from the realm of dreams um so you're basically dual. isn't there a character in like one of the star treks that does that in like deep space nine you're talking about a trail yeah, that one. Yeah, of Sandy course. Up. Yes, all my Star Trek knowledge. I knew that as well. No, so yeah, the totally. Cal- the Calistar, They're actually one of the ones that stood out to me. They just these sound cool, and I don't know, like what's some what's like what's the deal with Calistar and Eberron? Are these were are these a a popular race as far as from a player perspective? I know obviously you always hear about everybody wanting to do Warforge. But Shane, do people play Calistar? Yeah, so Calistar are the psionic race. Um, so back in 3.5 when this was created, right, psionics were a thing that had to be included. So they come from a country that is, or a continent actually, that's like dominated by evil spirits, right? Um, and so like they are literally fighting a dream war between the good and the evil quarry um, to like turn the age, basically, of uh, like shift like the planar alignment or whatever to change the age of, of Eberron. Um, so they're like caught in this huge war of good and evil. Um, this nation is entirely full of like people who are basically bred to be like easy to manipulate by these like evil spirits, these psychic spirits. So yeah, I mean, they're pretty popular. Um, I think they kind of like, I don't know. They're as popular as psionics are, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like in, in any given edition, it was like, if psionics were cool, like Kalistar are cool. If psionics are kind of lame, like, Kalistar kind of lame um so i don't know we had a Kalistar in our in our second game so they're definitely a thing i'm a big fan of their wisdom and charisma ability score increase with their advantage on all wisdom saving throws that mm-hmm. will be useful yeah one of the things about ever on the the far history that for for thousands of years goblins and goblinoids ruled basically the main continent of Corvair, uh, until they had to go to war with these things called quarry, which are basically these beings from the dream realm. And the Kalistar are, they're part of that lore. They're part of the reason why that's not everyone on the continent is, you know, dying and fighting this war. So those two things kind of go together. But for me, it's one of the things I, I've usually ignored. Like when I run Eberron, it was more about lightning trains, airships, and more forged. I almost never involved myself with that. Not to say they're not cool, but yeah, for me, it was something we just didn't really deal with. Uh, then you have shifters. 
and these are people who have sort of a like lycanthropy uh, heritage, so they can do some minor shifting that gives them bestial powers. And then you have, of course, the Warforged, which are the best, and they are the magic robots who I love. And every time I play Eberron, I like to play them because they're awesome. They're okay. <laughs> it's okay you're wrong about that. I do have to make a nerdy like lore correction. Um, oh, yeah, with, have at it. With shifters and changelings, so previously they were the descendants of lycanthropes and um, doppelgangers, respectively. They flipped that, actually, um, in 5th edition. Now, like, shifters and changelings were the original, and um, lycanthropes and doppelgangers are, like, the abomination of shifters and changelings. Oh, so very interesting. that was an, an interesting little switch. Okay. Do is that a known thing within like the like we know that as players or game masters from a world perspective though? Oh, uh I don't I don't know. Um okay. I think it's kind of up to you. So that's a that's a big theme of Eberron actually like like um Michael was saying like the two books gave you conflicting information. Like it's set up with a lot of mysteries. Um, and like, there's a lot of like rumor is built into the setting, but the DM has to decide what is or isn't true. Um, like for example, there is no answer to what caused the day of mourning. Like you just, there's no canonical answer ever. Um, there's suggestions for what it could be. Um, but it's up to you to decide what caused that and how engaged your campaign is with like what caused the mourning. Yeah, that was very, I'm reading through this book and I'm trying to find like what caused this thing and I could not find it. And then I realized what you just said that, yeah. oh, they're leaving it up to us. Mm -hmm. How nice of them. Which again is one of my favorite things about the, the Eberron. I, I love the Mornland. It's uh, always prominent in the games that, I, that I, I create and try to run in them. And I, I have my own reason why the Mornland happened but we'll talk about that later so the so you kind of broke down what's all what's all new is there anything that is i don't think anything's missing or they didn't say you couldn't play any race within eberron i think they're all no, they there specifically say that you can and they kind of give some examples for the ones that don't make a whole lot of sense necessarily um like dragonborn i don't think are a major part but they've they found a place for them to make sense because again no matter what you want to play there's a way to use it in eberron but there are certain ones that make more sense or less sense than others um yeah and they give you some examples of like if you're going to play a um a kalistar there's you know those charts for quirks and hooks mm -hmm. for your character throughout the that the chapter uh there's an there's a couple new backgrounds i think i think the background is if you're a part of the dragon marked houses, I guess. Uh, tieflings also. I don't think tieflings were part of the original Eberron, but there's a place for them now. There's also an updated orc stat block um, for orc race that is. Uh, it removes. It's it's better. Um, it's worse than half orc, but it's better than the like the Volos guide orc. Yeah, Volos. That had like it had an intelligence penalty, which is real bad. Um, now that's been removed, so orcs are on level footing. Yeah, because just reading through this, orcs play a very significant role within Eberron, which um, when Michael was kind of saying goblins and orcs, I mean, they have their own nation. Like, mm -hmm. these, the, the, they're legit. So, moving forward, there's, we, we talked about everything here. Was there anything, how does this stack up? What do you all think stack up as far as mechanically and information provided as some of the other um kind of secondary supplements for Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. Is there a lot here comparatively? 
So, okay, so let's go back to 3.5. Um, there was, like, I want to say five books that came out for Eberron. Um, more than that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, way more than that. Okay, all right. Like so there was a metric ton of books that came out for the yeah. setting. Right now, we have we have the one book um, that focuses specifically on that period, uh, you know, they call Rising from the Last War. I think what they give us is a very good starting point for, you know, people who are new to Eberron um, or who want to run a game in Eberron. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want more? I do. I, sorry, I keep looking down at the book and deciding. Um, I do. You know, yeah, I do because it's because you know I love Eberron, and you know I I definitely want more of it. Uh, but the book, I don't know. I like the book. I'm not knocking the book <laughs> at, at all. It, it just I'm just keep going back to to that line that you said, Tom, at the beginning. Is this something that someone who doesn't, who has, you know, who said, oh, what's Eberron? And, and you know, picks it up off the shelf. Is this something that they could, you know, navigate successfully? And and I, I don't know. I, I mean, it definitely would require some more work, I think, than some of the other, some of the other settings. Because it, it's very, it's a very lore thick setting. Oh, it's definitely. I think that I think I was very glad that they gave all the information for each race, so you can include everything in here. And then I also really like the the dragon marks. Okay, so I still don't fully understand how useful they are for any other class that's not a spell casting spell casting class. Um, Shane, dragon marks. Is it okay for somebody who's not a spellcaster to take a dragon mark? Probably not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about what, what's a drag? What is a dragon mark? Michael kind of alluded to it, but there's a there's a significant section of chapter one that goes through every single dragon mark in all the different houses that have these dragon marks. Yeah, there, there's twelve dragon marks, thirteen houses because there was a split in one of the houses. I can't remember them. And then there's also um, aberrant uh, dragon marks, and supposedly there's like a another one that. There's like a moon of Eberron that went away or something. I don't That's some deep lore there. Yeah, so so dragon marks are like seemingly random. Um they're not necessarily passed like like through genetics. Um but what they are is like basically a manif- a magical manifestation that like looks like a tattoo on your skin that gives you magical power. So the way that they work in 5th edition is they are subraces of the various um races that are available or like that are allowed to be like possess those marks so they are tied to race but they are not necessarily tied to like family um which has always been true in eberron and now as sub races like that's just replaces the sub race features that you would normally choose during character creation which means like you end up being more like your house members than you do like other members of your race um which i think is fine um, like you said, dragon marks are not super useful as a sub race if you're not a spellcaster, because you know you have to have the ability to cast the spells that the dragon marks make available to you. Also, they just add them to your spell list. They don't let you cast them for free or prepare them or anything, which is a little bit strange. 
Yeah, I was reading this, and I'm going through. I'm like, hey, where's – I'm trying to – I'm like, are these just giving you spells? And then I got to Mark of Shadow, and I was like, oh, I would really love to play a, a Mark of Shadow Rogue. That sounds cool. And I was just – never mind. It's just some more spells. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things where the mechanics and the lore don't quite jive for me, that the Dragon Marks are presented as this thing that made it – just made these different houses dominant in their different – you know, areas of interest, but there really don't seem like they were powerful enough. If we were to like start over today, I don't think someone with the mark would have such a huge advantage that they would be able to corner the market like the lore presents it as. Um, and, uh, and secondary to that, one of the things that uh, this is a very big nitpick, but if you are a member of the house, it mentions like, like you can get um, discounted services and the discounts are either five or 10%. Like, that's like an AARP thing. Like you get a cup of coffee at Wendy's for 50 cents. I think it should be like 50% off. Like I, I would not insult my players and go, Oh, you're part of this house. You get 5% off of this thing that I'm not really tracking gold for anyway. Yeah. I don't even track gold at that level of detail. <laughs> yes. So like it should be free or significantly discounted. Cause it just doesn't seem like it's like, I literally was like laughing, like seriously, 5% on healing spells. Go bleep yourself. Oh my word! That's no. So the the other major chunk of the of this first this first chapter though is the the patrons. So once again, fifth edition is trying to hash out guilds, and I I think they did a good job with this one. I really liked all the. I don't know what your all's thoughts were. I loved the all. They gave so much flavor for all these different patrons, which are almost like employers that your your players can use as a group it kind of gives you've got these built-in hooks that you can use to give players missions uh do y'all have any thoughts about the patrons so i like it this isn't an this isn't a thing that i've seen before um but i like this as the idea of your players all come together to decide who they want their patron to be and now they have voted with their like with that choice of what kind of eberron campaign they want right like if you are all you know like private eyes in sharn you want to investigate small little mysteries and like uncover something bigger than you expected right um if you are all like newspaper reporters from like the the front of the cold war right like you can go do that too um and and like then you will travel around the world right and like if you're i don't know treasure hunters or whatever right like it just flavors your game in the direction you want because it is such a broad setting that has so many different little places you could dig into Oh, yeah. It was definitely there's this is what made it this to me feel like a really good campaign book because there's so many seeds and hooks that you can use in order to make your game. So uh, my favorite thing was the Charlie An- Charlie's Angels uh, illusion where it says that one of your patrons could be just a random voice that comes from a speaking stone. So I immediately thought this is a Charlie's Angels reference where all the players gather together and it's like, hello angels hello bosley and they just there's a voice tells them what their next mission is that's it's that's past my time <laughs> it just came out like three days ago oh okay you're talking about the new one okay yeah. all right all right all right all right okay yeah, and i think isn't there also there's um for each of the different types of patrons it gives you the option of making your own like your group being your own patron yeah. or your own organization <laughs> uh which i think it's kind of a neat thing if you don't want to be beholden to this other group you're going to become the criminal enterprise you're going to become this thing i thought that was kind of an interesting 
aspect to include that I, I think a lot of players may think, well, why do we need to do that? And the fact that it was thought to put in there, I just, I think it was smart. Mm-hmm. For sure. I thought they, they mentioned that if you do that to go use the, the dungeon master's guide information as far as starting a business. And I thought for sure they were going to mention the acquisitions incorporated book and they did not. And I was very proud of them. <laughs> a little bit of a tonal dissonance there. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so that's lots of stuff to digest in chapter one, but moving on to chapters two and three, these are kind of the first real world building campaign sections. The first one, the Corvair Gazetteer goes through every single nation within the the continent of Corvair and then some that actually aren't on the continent some wider spreading countries and then the Sharn um city towers so Brad starting off with you what you what did you think about um these two massive sections I think they're both integral to understanding this world if you're if you're gonna run if you really want to run Eberron and you really you want to okay if you if you really want to get a really good basis of of understanding what the world what's going on you know and everything you need to really grasp at least chapter two because that's like the high level the high level overview of you know hey this is the world today this is the state of things and these are how all the people are um you know of the various of the various nations and uh chapter three is all about you know um the largest well yeah i guess shane is is uh is the city of towers the largest city in eberron uh i think so um it's definitely the most fleshed out in agreed the, agreed like, all of the lore and everything so it's it's meant to be if you're in a city it's the city yeah you should probably it, it's like their baldur's gate never or eberron's yeah. baldur's gate it's fantasy coruscant all right yeah so pretty much uh I really appreciated this section, the first one, the Corvair Gazetteer, because of how they laid stuff out. It was every single country or sovereign nation was, it was unified. So it's the title, you have the capital, you have hallmarks, and then there's interesting things, and then the characters and cities and sites. And then, then they provide a little paragraph about the aftermath of the last war. So you know where it currently is. But so everything just kind of, you could, take pieces of it i like that uh, shane michael um what were your what'd you all think about these two sections here so i mean there were a couple of big changes well okay so i needed what are the big changes here so the i think the depending on which pieces of eberron you love the most um the, a big one is that the dwarves of the maror holds are now canonically fighting dalkir um so it's always been true that there were like ancient ruins underneath their territory the maror holds but it is now like there is during the corruptor who is one of the Dalkir, who is one of the like aberrations, like one of the lords of the aberrations, um, is down there and trying to invade. And then that's where they introduce the symbionts, which are some of the magic items, which are like Dalkir living weapons that you can bond with, almost like a curse, um, but give you like Dalkir powers. The um the Dalkir are still something that I will ask you about later because I still don't know exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> Just they're aberrations, right? So your beholders, your mind flayers, your, you know, creepy eyes and feathers and, you know, weird body horror stuff, all of those, that's all Dalkir. Dalkir. That's what they're called. Okay. Perfect. Um, Michael, what were your, what'd you, what'd you think about these two, these significant chunks of the book? So this is one of the things where, again, it's almost like, 
overload. So if I was creating a campaign, I would want my players to to pick a nation that you're from mm-hmm. and go read that section and then try to incorporate that into your character and your role play. Um, and I, again, I don't remember if it's in this section. I know that some of the older books, they had like how you related to, to, to each other. So if you were from Breland, what did you think of people that were from Ondare? And it gave you some role playing sort of guidance. So as the DM, I think there's so much information. I'm never going to remember all of that unless I'm specifically building a campaign that includes the Eldine reaches. Then I'm obviously going to read that. I'm going to incorporate it. But if I'm setting my game in Sharn, I probably don't care about the Eldine reaches section. So it's good information. I'm glad it's there. But I don't think it's something that most people need to just read front to back. Um, in fact, I, I suggest you don't do that because it just it's just too much. But I do like that it's there, and I think it gives a little bit of interesting uh, information about each of the places, how it was affected from the last war, uh, kind of the state of where they are, that if you're going to use that section, you can. Because one of the things about this the campaign setting is it's a great setting if you want to play a solo character who's essentially James Bond or any other sort of world-spanning spy. Because the game is set up to let you go to these other countries quickly through, you know, airships and uh, galleons and teleportation and lightning rails. So you have all the hallmarks of a, you know, world spanning spy, global globe trotting spy and having all this information about all those other places is great. But I think for many campaigns, especially starting, none of this really matters. I don't, I I think there's a whole bunch of superfluous information that's just bogs the mind down unless you specifically need it. So I think that is maybe true, but like keep in mind like that whole like weird locations far across the globe and like travel to exciting places is like a hallmark of pulp adventure. So it's tough to be like a pulpy game if you limit it to like just Sharn, right? So by giving you all that information, it like it tells you more about the world and then also gives you like, hey, like they're interested in I don't know like ancient archaeology, like we should go to Zendrik, right? Um, like it gives you those places that you should like draw them into in the world. So like I I hear what you're saying that like of any given campaign you can only use twenty percent of it, but I think you need all of it in order to like set up the the, the campaign that you want to run. Yeah, and I, and I don't disagree with that. What I guess when I'm reading the book, the thing that I look for is when I'm reading stuff, do I constantly get oh my god I want to run a campaign of that? You know, like like there's a paragraph, a page, a an image a picture that just like inspires like oh now i want to run a campaign because of this information and some of those i did but not for every one of them Mm -hmm. i just some of them were just like okay they were just like you know uh wikipedia entries or encyclopedia entries others are like oh there's a hook there i really like now later they get a little bit more uh granular where they talk about like um and again i'm blank on the name what's the magical our arcanics like the magical Arcantrix. school, Arcantrix, where all the mm. mages go. Like when I was reading about that specifically, I was like, oh, okay, I could definitely see myself setting either a, a section of a campaign here, a campaign hook. Um, in fact, I actually think I have used one before where it mentions specifically that boulets can be like bred and trained. Um, and I had a character eaten by one. Um, so it's like, okay, now we got to go figure out 
what they were wearing when they were eating it. It's a whole thing. But like when I'm reading through there, some of those really stood out to me as like, oh, this is interesting. This is a campaign hook and others didn't. And that's that's just subjective, though. Obviously, uh, is it I call it seer. I don't know if it's sire seer. Uh, the Mornland is the only one you really the whole book should just be the Mornland because that's the coolest thing. Um, so that's one of those things that also doesn't have a canonical answer, but, uh, I think, I can't remember what Keith Baker says, but I know some people call it Siri and that drives me nuts. Mm. Oh God, no. <laughs> I don't like that. That kind of gives me shivers. I like Seer, so. Yeah, we, we called it Seer, but, <laughs> uh, some people call it Sire. Yeah, we, I always called it Crier. That's probably definitely a misread. <laughs> the, it's funny that you all mention um, Arcanics because that was one of the ones that I I kind of the, it's like the first entry in this in this Corvair Gazetteer. You start reading about it and you're like, okay, this is just Eberron Hogwarts. Um, it's basically Great Britain. I mean, they're good at with cheese and education and fashion and grain and wine and wizardry. And then I'm um, and yeah, and then. They got screwed during the war. Like, <laughs> they lost everything. And then I'm reading through, I'm like, well, maybe everybody else is going to get, and then Braylon, oh, Braylon, okay, they're okay. Everybody, everybody but Seer and on Derek just kind of got, <clears throat> man, those poor wizards. They just <laughs> got screwed. I mean, Tom, that's the point. Why was it only them who got screwed? Have you thought about that? <laughs> I haven't, but I am now. Well, so. when you answer that question, you'll have the seed for your Eberron campaign. So looking through these this section, I wanted to ask you all, if you had to pick one nation that you had to live in that's laid out here, which one would it be? We'll go ahead and start with Michael. Michael, if you're looking at all these different nations, which one would you pick to live in? Oh, that's... uh. Well, is it Michael? It's Michael. It's Michael. I get old man and lazy? <laughs> yes. Or is it like an adventurer? No, no, no. I want you. Like, we're looking through these. Which one would you honestly live in? And then so how we can judge you. Okay. Well, it would be Braylon. Okay. Um, because it's the most civilized and like, okay. not civilized, but it's like the most contemporary in my mind. It's also generally a good king. So you're probably not going to get thrown into jail just because you have different opinions. But if I was a hero, it would be the Lazar principalities because pirates. Okay. That's fair. I mean, the, the first one is wrong, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Brad, um, if you had to live in any of these nations, which one would it be? On dare for the win. Okay, all right. They have cheese and wine. That's acceptable. And a metric ton of magic. Okay, all right. We did just talk about how they got really screwed, but okay. Anyway. <laughs> That's okay. Um, they're getting better. Yeah, they're working on it. Once they claim the rest of their land from the farmers that just kind of took it. All right. Um, Shane, one one land. I would not be able to live there long, but I would definitely live in the Talenta Plains because f***ing dinosaurs. <laughs> Halflings riding dinosaurs, my dudes. Yeah. The um, yeah, that that'll, that'll work. I mean, they're <laughs> it's it's fast, it's dangerous, you know. I, I mean, I'm gonna get eaten. I'm not under any any illusions about this, but I want to see it before I do. It's my that's, last Jurassic Park run. That's fair. Um, and then so I'm gonna pick the actual only real answer here, and that's Zalargo. All right. That's but the Gnomish Kingdom. The Gnomish Kingdom. They didn't get touched by this war at all. They have like 
it, it talks about this place is clean. They have the, the most advances, you know, creature comforts. I mean, there's a lot of gnomes, but I assume you would just get used to them. And well, don't they come across as slightly kind of like racist though against anyone who's not a gnome? <laughs> yeah, and they're like the is... Swiss. <laughs> yeah, I would just be going to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> be perfect no yeah. anyway so that's that's all um so oh, the, the other thing in that chapter too is uh, about all the different religions and faiths which again is something that can either can or cannot be a big part of the game different religions um the sovereign host the dark six i know uh the morning glory shane you were part of the church of the silver flame right mm-hmm. you were an inquisitor and again, at least in the previous lore, I don't remember in this one, there was like a great purge where they fanatically went through and killed all the Lanthrocopes, which wasn't great yeah. uh, and, and caused some concern. Like that's like, like shifters have a very tenuous relationship with the silver flame because of it. Um, so, and those are things that again, can add a lot of flavor to the game or can be ignored if you don't care. I really also like they the newspaper clippings that they put throughout all of the the whole book and especially in these sections which are just kind of like it's a newspaper and so you're just having these these clippings that are saying this so and so is happening here or this person did this and it gives it that real kind of that pulp feeling that Shane was kind of saying that you need to know what's going on in all these other areas so I thought those were pretty cool yeah there's the um there's the very kind of dumb but also like really telling one about uh drunks falling off of towers in sharn <laughs> i saw and that it was like a public service announcement to please always wear your feather token they're very cheap and they keep you alive yeah. uh, because it basically gives you feather fall like as a as a one use you know magic item that's just common so people just have them if they're in the upper towers where are your feather token people <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's why that's why the players, Michael, they need to read all this. They wouldn't have that valuable information. See, see, right there. Now I have an idea for a campaign, at least a hook. Our players, characters come upon a dead person that clearly has fallen from above. They're drunk, but they have a feather token. That's odd. Why did they die? They have a feather token. So there's the mystery. What killed them? Turns out somebody was selling fake totems are not real it's like you know new york we buy like the louis vuitton purse on the street someone's selling basically um fake feather tokens and this guy just happened to die but it, it leads you into the story about this con artist who's probably a changeling and it goes from there whoa dude that is that's a stereotype <laughs> uh-huh. um, yes so lots of good information in chapters <laughs> two and three um and we all know what michael's so if you ever played Michael's campaign, you already know the secret way to ruin it, Michael. Yeah. Um, well, again, I don't want to skip over chapter three because Sharn, well, other right. than the Mornland, Sharn is like my favorite part of ever. Okay. Like almost, most of my games start in Sharn. I just think it's it's an interesting campaign setting when you're used to playing, quote unquote, D&D, where you're out in the wilderness and you're going into dungeons to turn that around. And now you're just inside of a city and the entire campaign can take place inside of this metropolis. It's just that it it looks and feels different to me, and I really like that aspect. So I'm a big fan of Sharn, which, again, I have the other 3.5 source books specifically on Sharn. Um, so I just I'm a big fan of it. It's not like it's totally unique. Again, there are other fantasy settings that have cities in them, but I just think Sharn feels noir, and I just I really like those aspects of it. Yeah, there was. I wish there was a. There's definitely some. We we'll talk. There's some. <clears throat> some very 
funky art here, but I wish there was a better map of Sharn. I don't know what you all what you all think of this. The map that they lay out, it shows the city like kind of sliced, but there's not a whole lot of detail to it. Yeah, yeah that's the uh, the same one they've been using forever. And it's one of those things where they want it to like each plateau and each, you know, uh, cross section has a few places that are, you know, notated and written about. But for the most part, it's pretty much open. So you can kind of do whatever you want to. There's, that, there's like, yeah, like the section for the middle city. There's just nothing on the map. It just is middle city. Oh, well, okay. So that is actually in each of the little quadrants or quarters of the city. Like they talk about what's in the lower, middle, upper section. So like they do talk about like how it progresses up in each quarter. But like, yeah, no, it is a hard thing to map. Like human minds were not meant to like map arcologies very efficiently. You're telling me we can't visualize three-dimensional maps well? 3D in a, chess, Tom. 3D chess. In Huge a two-dimensional di- two book? So, <laughs> I want, like, and now I need my, I want them to, I want my, my, my app now where I can do, like, a Google Earth of, of Sharn, all right? With all the money that they saved on art. So, anyway, uh, the, all right, so, chapter chapter five um no chapter four this is the this is the building eberron adventures this is specifically for the dungeon master there isn't any there isn't any um what you say unreliable narrator here they it tells you exactly this is what is happening here and then it also will tell you like this is something that we're not defining we're allowing you to define they don't phrase it as who is so-and-so happening here? They're like, it is up to you to determine what is going on here. So this is almost like a, it's kind of like a, um, like an encyclopedia. We were kind of, Michael, myself were kind of talking beforehand. It's laid out very much, um, just kind of give you information in chunks of basically alphabetical order. They lay out these different sections. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting I don't know if interesting is the right word. Um, it's not what I think of when I think of a of section on adventure hooks and how to design adventures. It's essentially, these are all the various factions that are probably trying to do something and probably something that if you knew about, you wouldn't be happy with. And if you decide to use any one of them, your characters are going to stumble into their plans. So you have, you know, this cult, this thing, this group. They're probably trying to do this thing. This is what they're trying to do. And if that intersects with your characters, you're probably going to have an adventure out of it. But it's not the sort of, I don't know, when I think of adventures, I think of a lot more of like, uh, you know, you take this, this person has it, you want it back, go. This is more like, okay, the Aurum are a bunch of wealthy jackasses and they basically want to rule the world. How might you stumble into their plans and screw things up and get yourself in trouble? So it's it's a different type of adventure building, but I think it fits the Eberron themes. Okay. Um, Brad, what were your thoughts on this section? Chapter four, building Eberron adventures. When I read through it, it really reminded me back to the days of kind of like old school, you know, I, I don't, okay. It reminded me back to previous editions where you had charts and charts and charts and you know you roll for random encounters and things like that but not in a bad way if that makes sense like i appreciate what they did here yeah the the reason why i say that is because eberron is very much a kitchen sink style setting where 
everything under the sun is there. And they give... I, th I think they rely... The, the philosophy I think they took with this is that they rely on you as the GM to do some more of the heavy lifting, you know, for, for some things. Like, they'll, they will, you know, give you ideas to help get you off the ground. But but they will, you know, rely more on, on you to, to, to flesh out the little nuggets that they give you. That, that's just what I took away from it. I gotcha. Shane, what were your thoughts on Chapter 4? I think it is it's such the meat of the book, right? And it's like, it's what makes Eberron more than just like a static list of locations and like a cross section of corporations that are dragon marked houses. Like all of these little meta plots that are going on that may or may not affect it. And you don't know which ones get pulled into your game and which ones don't until you start playing. Like that's what I like about Eberron and how it's structured. So like for me, it is like the core of Eberron, but that's how I think about my games already possibly because of Eberron. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so like I you know, I that's that's what works for me. Like I will say like a lot of the stuff in here is really cool. Like Warforged Colossus, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like this is it's new and it's my jam. Oh wait, the Warforged Col that's new? Mhm. Mm okay, that seems like No, no, I had they were that was a 3-5 thing, I thought. Or maybe nope. it wasn't. Maybe nope, I just it wasn't. brought it in or read somewhere where somebody else brought it in. I, I thought it was too, but no. Uh, so Warforged Colossi are like giant kaiju-sized Warforged that were designed specifically for Seer to oppose um, the super weapon that Breland had built, uh, which was like a floating fortress. You know what? I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Warjacks from uh, Iron Kingdoms. My bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like... They were in Seer. They're all gone now because of the Day of Mourning. Presumably they're just not functioning in Seer, but no one really knows for sure because no one can really go into the Mornland reliably. Um, what would happen if you found one? What would happen if you activated one? What would happen if the Lord of Blades found one and activated one? <laughs> right? Like they're this super weapon that's just sitting out there waiting to be found. Yeah. There is what I've loved about this too. Like it, it includes all the information and the, like the, the Colossus is... If you want that to be the central element of your campaign, here's everything that you need in order to make it the central element. If you want to make dragons the central element of your campaign, here's what you need in order to make dragons. So I did like that because that's what I like to do with my games is I like to pick one central element that is going to flavor everything. And so they just have those and it's got every all the information that you need for it, which was pretty cool. The, I do want to point out there is, I did go through and count, there is very minimal art. There's only a, let's see here. That's a good point. There is, in this chapter, there is only 11 pieces of art, not including maps here. So, I was very... A lot of the art, too, I'd seen before um, from earlier editions. Is this the section where we get to complain about the art? You can't. I just wanted to point it out here <laughs> because good. I just wanted to point it out here just because there is only, there was only eleven pieces of art, so that comes down to it's every six point five pages that there's a piece of art. It's very minimal here. So yeah, the art is definitely since we're we're talking about it, let's talk about it. I have the benefit of, like I said, not really seeing a whole lot of Eberron, so I'm not recognizing a lot of these pieces. I can definitely tell styles are like, oh, that's old fourth edition style. I've seen those books at my comic book store, and they use Bookbin. Um, but 
art. Anyway, wax profusely. There's a lot of recycled art from previous editions. There's a few pieces I don't recognize. It's possible they're new or possible I just don't recognize them. There's a couple that I really like. But overall, I'm very disappointed in the art. I think there's way too much recycled art. And also, I don't like the fact that there is so much recycled from other editions. We have 3.5 art. We have 4th edition art. We have 5th edition art. So it, it nothing feels connected and, and maybe that's by design because Eberron is supposed to be such a diverse place and all these different types of adventures but it, it, it threw me off like I kept going this art doesn't look like what I think it should this art does this art doesn't this is weird uh, so yeah so overall other than a couple particular images that I thought were really cool specifically um, it's the one that shows the airship fall, uh, flying into the Mornland and all the clouds look like howling faces. Like I would love a print of that piece of art, but beyond that, I was pretty disappointed across the board with the art. Do you have a page yeah. number? I'm looking for it. The other one that's really good is the art, um, of Metrol that shows like the Warforged Colossus just sitting in the city, like shut down. Um, it's like, a setting sun or maybe a rising sun, but it's like such a mood piece of just like it's in the Mornland. So it is, it is a wasteland. There's nobody there, but like, it's just there and it looks so defeated. It's a, so it's a really good piece and it's brand new, but then you have like book art, like the novels, like the novel cover art is in here and novels have different art styles. They're always painted a reference of people and it looks silly compared to like the super cartoonish, like third and fourth edition art. My yeah, it's it totally is. You have that you have that book art. <laughs> That's actually, I mean, it's cool. But then you flip over a few pages, and then there's that art with of the dwarf with the tentacle whip. Yeah, <laughs> and I was, it was, yeah. There's some rough ones, but I wanna the one that I wanted to when we're talking about art, the one I wanted to talk about specifically. There's a section in the back called generic NPCs. All right, if you all flip to page three seventeen. There is, page 317 has two stat blocks. It has a changeling stat block and a Kalistar stat block. And so, the image that they use, it's just this, it's a very generic NPC. <laughs> and it says, Kalistar or changeling disguise as Kalistar. And, I was just, and so, I was thinking about that. I was like, if all the art just clicked, I was like, that would have been a funny joke. But because it doesn't, and then they put that line in there, I was like, just kind of like, I made a cringe face. <laughs> and it's I kind like of... It's like that old second edition where somebody got the artist credit for the Invisible Stalker. Yeah. It's yes. just a blank page. Uh, right, it's page 102. Is It's the, the, the one that yeah. I like that much. And no, there is some, there is definitely some really cool set pieces. Like the set pieces where they like... Like the one Michael was talking about, the airship flying in the morning lanes, and Shane talking about Metro. When they show those wide, those landscapes, they're all great. Mm -hmm. But when you start getting into some of the the closer up action shots, a lot of that stuff is recycled. Though I do have one even criticism with with the 102, and it also goes to the um, alternate cover. On the alternate cover, there's three different airships I can see. And all the rings around these airships all seem pretty, like, static. They look just almost like, just like perfect, perfect circles. And in my mind, these were always less precise. They were more like Kylo's uh, lightsaber. Like, I imagine it, like, flames and circular, just 
just big and this just seems like too neat and precise. It just doesn't fit what I thought airships would look like. So in my world, they're going to be a lot more messy when it comes uh, to the... Page 235 has the messy ring that you're looking for in your airships. Oh, look at, look at, look at that. That's a cool cutaway. Yeah, see, that that's what I'm looking for. There you go. So the art is definitely, it is all over the place. And it makes one think that maybe this book was rushed. But... But anyways. But anyway. the So talking about the building Eberron Adventures, um, let's say they release a 5th edition Eberron Adventure module. All right. Because I can't see them not doing it. The... What do you all... I'll... What do you all want them to? What do you want that adventure module to be about? I think that's almost an impossible question. Okay, because because you can do so many different types of adventures that they're going to have to pick one, and that means they're going to have to leave out ninety percent of the other ones. And no matter what they pick, I'm probably going to be disappointed unless it's going into the Mornland, which is like the obvious one. But I don't think they'll do that because there's no real answer to the Mornland. So I don't know. I mean, Shane, you're probably the other, like, do you think they'll do a, a campaign book? Adventure book, I mean? Uh, I mean, I don't have any special insight that you don't, <laughs> um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think, like, if they do a big, another big, like, 200-page adventure, it has to go into the Mornland. Um, I would like to see it maybe stop by Zendrick first, or um, maybe yeah. stop by, like, Valinar or Arenal, like, some of the places that are a little less explored. Or I would love to see Lazar Principalities and see some pirate action. But I, I don't know. I Realistically, like I think it has to go into the Mornland. Um, but it's weird because I don't think you could do an adventure that specifies what caused the Mornland. Right. So what and, adventure are you doing And what's the point there? of going there if you don't? Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think you're right. I think it's tough. So can, can I get your guys' thoughts on this? And this is nope. just a, okay, fine. I guess we're done here. <laughs> see y'all later. Um, <laughs> tell me, speak to me, Brad, speak to me, speak to me. So I, my preferred character types are casters, wizards, artificers. Um, and this is kind of going back to that, you know, that chapter, uh, what is it? Chapter character creation, chapter one, we kind of glossed over the artificer and just didn't really talk about it. I really want to be super excited about it but for me it comes down to can can an artificer make magic items because that's like the thing they do at least in my view of an artificer and i think is just for me is is a general feeling from fifth edition because of the way they they've restructured magic items entirely and had them, you know, based on so many, you know, you only get three attunement slots and and, and whatnot, that I don't know that it, it really feels like it delivers on that. I mean, yeah, they get those temporary items or infusion items that they can make, but I, I don't know. For me, that what do you guys think? Oh, you missed that they added artificers can have all sorts of magic items. Yeah, they can have six attunement slots. Yeah. Right, no, I I saw that, but I'm I'm saying like in general, like okay, so if we go back to the days of three five, you had what like fifteen body slots or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, in, in I I don't know, it, it, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I'm building an artificer for a game that I'm going to be playing shortly to to try it out to see, you know, does it deliver on that? But that's just my general 
my general so I'm impression sure based off reading it. Shane and Ishan did that part. So does the artificer stack up against the other classes? Uh, we actually didn't really talk about that, um, specifically because it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, um, now, I think it's fair to question, like, does the artificer do artificer? Right? Does it feel like an artificer, and does it feel different? Um, and I, I, I personally think it does. Like th- this, very much reminds me of like what the artificer has always been, much more so than like some of the mm-hmm. certainly some of the playtest stuff where it was like a wizard and cleric and things like that. Like I think the battlesmith is rad. It gets a a companion that is like actually scales with it and like does cool stuff in combat. Um, I think the artillerist gets to throw down his turrets and like be it's... Torbjorn from Overwatch and that's cool. Like that's new, but it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. It's so cool. The turrets are so cool. Like, I'm not saying it's not cool. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I'm I'm gonna have a blast with my artillerist artificer and, and laying down some fire. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's just it doesn't necessarily I haven't found that it, it it's a me thing, you know, that perhaps it does I have my version of Eberron and how I viewed it. You know, maybe maybe it just doesn't jive with Brad World. Yeah, I think sense. I think there there's that's a fair point though. Like fifth edition has de-emphasized magic items, mm-hmm. so like they did kind of have to do like a workaround with those infusions, right? They're not really making new magic items; they're like infusing magic into items for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm with you. Like I, I I get what you're saying. I like I think you're right, but also like there's that very low level ability for it that just like can create a magic lamp. <laughs> right? Oh no, and, that's like, super. Like, and it's like, cool. Like that's how the streets of, of Sharn are lit. You know, mm-hmm. like there's just artificers running around who are just spending their time, like lighting these lamps each night. Right. And like, that's just their daily ability. That's their job. So yeah, like, like the major, some of that stuff like does fit through. Yeah. Like major rights do that too. Right. So I don't know, like some of it does fit through. Some of it is like a little reworked for like a fifth edition framework, but I think they found a good middle ground personally. Um, I like the class a lot. I don't, I don't think it could be, I don't think it's overpowered. I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. going to get too excited about a half caster. Um, but I think it's really cool. I think it'll be fun to play. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to diving into it. I'm super excited about half casters. Like, I have another class that I can play that is a not a warlock. So, like, <laughs> very excited about this. Um, but, but, um, yeah, definitely I would, you all, you all do a pretty good breakdown, I felt, on your all's episode of the different paths, not paths. What do they call? What's the official term for that? Subclass. Subclasses. Subclasses. Yeah. Official subclass. So definitely go check that out. Um, moving back over to, um, the the final chapter four. The one thing that I wanted to say here was, all right, I've got some speculation. All right, so here's some put on your put on the tinfoil hats. All right, folks, because we're diving deep. Chris Perkins the other day, he tweeted about, hey, if you all loved Ravenloft, you're really gonna love what we have cooking for. I think it was end of 2020 or 2021. All right, so this is my speculation here, is that we're going to get some sort of vampire adventure set in Karnath that we're, it's going to boil over with Dragothul coming back from Zendrick. All right. So that's, we're getting a, a vampire adventure that's in Karnath. All right. And we're going to get some Zendrick. All right, Shane. All right. I mean, you've got Lady Ilmero, who is Randis Vol. Oh, wait, that's a bad spoiler. <laughs> you <laughs> you got Lady got... Ilmero in there. The, uh, the um, king of Karnath is... 
I don't remember if it's specified specifically here, but is definitely a vampire. <laughs> they, so. they, they, that's one of those things where they say, he may be a vampire. He's, oh, yeah, a, vampire. So he's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> no one's maybe a vampire. Right. So I'm really hoping for some vampires. All right. So that's what I'm thinking. But anyway, enough of what. So, well, yeah, and that brings us to the adventure that's included. So I think uh, yes. the building adventure, there is a short introductory adventure to Eberron. Um, so, Bray, did you have a chance to read the adventure? So, uh, I failed in this, uh, because I purposely did not read the adventure. I know we're doing a review of it, but I have a strong suspicion that my GM is going to run that adventure, so I purposely skipped that section. Oh, aren't you, aren't you such a good, you're such a good player. So, so what about you, Tom? Did you read the adventure? I, I did. It is a, it is an Eberron adventure. It, it checked all of the boxes for me. Um, there's a, there's a... You've got a lightning rail, some sort of air carriage. Um, it was, it was cool. It was cool. Um, there's some mystery to it. Um, I definitely, I liked the, one of the texts that they say about the main villain at the end. It's a good villain because it's like, I can't remember her name exactly. It's like Gara or something. And she's like, yeah, Gara. It's like, she has no remorse for what she has done. And I'm like, <laughs> this is my type of villain. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was a good adventure. That's your type of PC, Tom. Yes, no remorse. You just do it, and you live with the consequences. <laughs> That's how things go. <laughs> Shane, what did you think about the adventure? Uh, it's yeah. I mean, I think that's you summed it up. It's good. Yeah. Um, it checks all the boxes. It it gives you an idea of what an Eberron low level adventure should be like, which is what this should do. I mean, this is where you're supposed to. They kind of even say that this adventure should kick off your campaign. Or is a useful tool to kick off your campaign. Kick off your campaign by crashing a lightning rail. <laughs> there you go. There's only is only up from there. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. Yes, yeah, right. Um, Michael, what'd you think? I thought it was okay. Okay, all right. Again, it, it, it ticked the boxes, but I thought it was a very uninspired way. Uh, again, maybe it's just because I am familiar with Eberron, but I was wanting more. It just seemed very sort of ho drum, humdrum, okay. So yeah, I um, I wasn't impressed with it. I didn't. I don't think it's a bad adventure, but I didn't read it going, oh, I can't wait to run this. Yeah. If I started ever on campaign, I will not be using that one. Yeah, same. Yeah, I I think that's a good point too. As far as when we talk about who should buy this book and everything, like I have no experience with Eberron. So reading this, I'm like, this is really cool. Like, I will probably run this at some point, which is interesting to see you all have, like, cause, because it's very boilerplate Eberron, which you all have done, it's, why do this? So, which was, it was, it was, if they're trying to get more people who've came in with 5th edition and don't have that experience, that is definitely a wise myth. I, I think the the part that got me is there's a section where you're in a, in a sky carriage, which basically is a an Uber in the air, and these creatures attack you riding flying discs and it's it's like a almost like a throwaway it's like well they they shoot you but they can they get close if you do they do half their damage they run away like to me that should have been the set piece of the adventure is when you're being chased through the these air skiffs and because i guarantee you when i if i run that version there's going to be people jumping from the sky carriage onto these discs trying to knock those people off then taking over on those discs that's going to be awesome. That's going to be the, the centerpiece in the end of the, the adventure. And that was just such a, well, we need those. Like I said, check the box that they were there, but I don't think it didn't feel inspired. It seemed like it's like, okay, just get through that so that you can get to the next thing. So I don't know. I may maybe being picky here. It's your opinion. 
<laughs> I'm opinionated. <laughs> anyway, so it's to kind of close things out here, um, for the sake of time, we've got chapters five and six. We've got some magic items and we've got some monsters. All right. So is there any, what are, anybody have any standout magic items here? I thought these were, I love magic items. So, and I thought a lot of these were pretty cool. Uh, I think, I think they did, they included, they included everything that, you know, you need for us, you know, a, a, a jump into Eberron. You know, you, you have, you have all of the you have all the goodies for the you know attachments like for Warforges, like the arm blades and the wand sheaves and they i really like the docent that was super cool uh way better than i remember being in previous editions yeah that was like man i really want one of those uh the one thing that i'm missing and i really would have liked to have seen was something like an eternal wand which was it from previous editions what it was is it was it was a wand that would allow you to cast a cantrip that's it so it's a like wand of firebolt and that's it that's all the other wand can do it can cast this cantrip pretty much all day i would would have liked to have seen something along those lines because and i haven't seen anything like that in in other other um fifth edition products And, and maybe that's by design yeah, I think that's a good point because that's an important piece of like making the Eberron economy work, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting the like magic industrial complex working is that eternal wands are a thing. You can always just, you know, cast a light spell if you need it. Right, or always like mending. Right, yeah, exactly. Um so I think that that's actually a good miss. I didn't notice that that's not in there, but you're right. That totally is like the kind of low level basic thing that like probably should be mentioned that that's important to Eberron. No, that's that's interesting that you all have, Brad, that you noticed that we've you've got some some because with a setting with that much history, there's going to be stuff that gets left out. Um, the I was super excited for the venom suits that they basically provided. The, the living, living armor, the living armor is both <laughs> the worst and the best plus one armor because it's it's just it's this cool. I don't know, it's. It's it's terrible, but it's also pretty cool. So that's one of the symbionts, which is what I was too busy staring and drooling over, Brad, to notice this important missing thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's like Dao, it's a Daokir like symbiont armor. So it it bonds to you. Uh, it gets treated as a curse, but like that's the armor is actually armor of the Daokir. Uh, I like the arcane propulsion arm which is just oh, yeah. a like magic punching arm <laughs> like <laughs> launch your fist and it returns to your arm <laughs> there you go like i mean hey where else are you to get that kind of stuff other than eberron I, there's a lot of there's a lot of prosthetics in here so if you lose them a limb in eberron it's not the end of the world <laughs> it's not the e- end of the world in in on earth either by the way but you know like <laughs> but you but on earth you can't get a punching arm Exactly. So. You can't upgrade as easily. <laughs> you can't upgrade as easily. So then jumping over to the the monsters. All right. There's a lot of monsters that are some high-level monsters. There's some cool stuff. I was... Everything through here, I'm like, oh, man, that'd be really cool to encounter. Or, well, as not really cool to encounter because it's probably a very tricky combat to run. But <laughs> it's some very high-level stuff. So um, were these... Um, Shane, any any standouts here? Uh, Lady Ilmero is a big standout. That's a 
again, I guess spoiler, but that's stats for Arandis Vol, who is um a, a huge like looming figure in in Eberron. So that's really rad to see her stat block. Uh, she's also just an ancient lich. Yeah, that's like she's a cool looking lich too. Like she got wings and a horned helmet. Like that's cool. But does she have a punching arm? <laughs> she <laughs> not yet. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> my version will um so again i didn't have a chance to really look at the monsters but i would just say in general one of the things i like about eberron is that the way that you use monsters is different than quote-unquote traditional D, where the beholder may be the person running the criminal enterprise not the monster you go into the woods to kill it may be the one you're working for or your job may not be to kill it but to steal from it to make it lose face in the in in the organization but there's a lot of monsters, Medusa, Manticores, that can be more like NPCs, monstrous NPCs. I, I like that aspect where you're just not trying to hit things with a stick until it dies. But but if you go into like a negotiation and it goes poorly, rather than the king sending 20 guards to kill you, the thing that you're negotiating with just eats you because it's a monster. Yes, I, I definitely like that whole element of not everything being so black and white you can it gives you just more freedom to use stuff like cool stuff and and that and it's, that's the cool thing that when the like you find out that the you know the quote unquote 10th level assassin is the goblin that you've been you know kicking around in, in the street for the last two three sessions or that this you know person that you thought was the the leader of this organization turns out they're a changeling and they're not they don't even exist they're just a fake persona and those are the elements again that are very aberrant to me rather than go kill these things and take what it has okay cool um the i definitely liked dern is that however the one of the dalkir mm-hmm. um super cool he's basically a he kind of looks like a vampire so i was like <laughs> yes in my wheelhouse but no um i i definitely like how they included so many high level it's in it kind of makes sense from a campaign standpoint they're wanting to give you a campaign book where you can have that end of the campaign that 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 one that villain who's setting the course for everything and so they provide those high level villains that you can center a whole campaign around which was cool so um the any notable missing monsters like anything here that you wish they would have included for for you 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 Eberron nerds. I, Brad, can you think of anything? Because I don't like I I it actually reminded me that there were things that like I'd forgotten about, like uh Dolgaunts and Dolgrim, which are the um hobgoblins and goblins that have been tainted and like twisted by the um by the Dalkir. Like I forgot that those were things, but those are definitely things in Eberron or like it includes like living spells which are useful for like going into the Mornland. Um but like I don't I can't remember anything that like other than, you know, of course, more named like characters, right? Like, so more of the overlords or like more of their proc to things like that. Like, sure. That would be great. Cause those are all like named NPCs, like Jayla Darren, um, the keeper of the silver flame. Like I would love to see those stat blocks, but like I knew I wasn't getting all of them. Okay. So gotcha. I, I, nothing that I can think that was missing, but I was surprised to be, you know, looking through the book and see stats for the Lord of Blades. I just, I didn't expect it. That caught me off guard. Oh, no. He's like, he's a fixture of the morning. Right. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I figured it would be something they wouldn't stat. Mm. Because, you know, I don't know. 
That's why well, if you're going to run your Mornlands campaign, you got to have Lord of Blades. Um, a few other things I want to point out just as we're going through this. Page 308 is the Radiant Idol. And if you all flip over to I just want to point out that that Radiant Idol, for those listening, go look at that art. Um, his name is definitely Chad. All right. <laughs> just going to throw just going to just going to throw that out there to you all. Um <laughs> He yeah. definitely plays water polo. <laughs> oh, for sure. He well, does. there's a picture of him playing water polo to get him into college, but he may not actually be on the team. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then the other Topical. one. <laughs> I was looking through this. Whenever I get a new um, D&D book, uh, my daughter likes to she'll just come sit next to me and look at the, the look at the pictures. And the we were flipping through this, and then we got to the Valinar Steed. And... She's like, I want that. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like the most, um, the most like quintessential, like, like five year old, like girl who's into everything that is my little pony. Like that is it. It's like a Lisa Frank horse. It is. That's literally what it is. So those are kind of my, um, my highlights of chapter six. And, um, I think that kind of wraps up all of the sections. So we're going oh, to. Oh, oh no! Nope. You have a section. Please, someone explain to me what are dragon shards. Oh yeah, I was gonna. I, we were gonna talk about that. Um, real quickly, can someone explain these to me? Because I, I, are these like broken dragons? Are these like minerals? I, I wasn't getting it. So that is actually explained like the creation myth of Eberron is that there are three dragons: Kyber, Eberron, and Sybaris. That like. Eberron basically binds Kyber inside it, and Sybaris becomes the stars. So you live on the world of Eberron, which is the corpse of a dragon. Inside it is Kyber, who is trying to get out. Um, and then the dragon shards are crystals that are associated with either falling from the stars, with the earth, or like Kyber, which is just deep within. Right? Um, so they're just magically like resonant. They have a little magic in them and you can do things with them like store spells or bind elementals or power magic items. Okay. Resources. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it's, can, it, well, go ahead. And that can be the focus of a campaign or an adventure. If I knew dragon shard mine or like if several fall together it's like a almost like a meteor shower but then they're actual dragon shards and then there's a race to go get them um so dragon shards again is one of the things that can play a large role in Eberron, or it can be kind of forgotten and kyber is some somewhat like the underdark mm -hmm. in other campaigns it's basically there's bad evil things there that are trying to get out in this case they're actual aberrants they're not just things that live underground uh, they've been twisted by the darkness and they're trying to get out. So it, it, again, it kind of falls into the, the myth of they're there. Why are they there? What are they trying to do? But it's kind of, kind of a neater, my opinion, version of that than just things underground are evil. It's evil things are underground. Right. Yes. So it, those are included with the, the magic items. So let's, right. let's wrap this well, up. Nope. One more oh, last my, thing. Okay, Michael, just, this just is last your thing. last thing. It's it's the art. Again, we've talked about it. Most of us not a fan. But we have, as has become tradition, the alternate cover. So do has anyone else got the alternate cover? I'm pretty sure Shane did. I saw a tweet where yep. you tweeted out. I do. So do you think it's worth getting the alternate cover over the regular one or not? I think that is completely up to taste. <laughs> I personally don't really care for it, So, but I have it. So here we are. Yeah, I got I got the regular one. I just like the regular one more. So, 
it matches the spine. The spine matches all the rest of my fifth edition book. I actually have to say, I think I do like the alternate cover of this one better than the original. Uh, if it's a matter of like spending more for it, because obviously you can get the regular one off Amazon cheap. But if you're going to pay full price uh, and it's between the two, I would have went with the alternate cover. So I actually like it better. I, I will say I don't like the Iron Man cover. Uh, like, <laughs> it, it, that, like that Warforged looks like an Iron Man suit. I, you'll never he's, talk me out of that. He's got a cape, though. What Iron Man comics are you? Okay. Yeah. okay, sure. He's, all right, no, he's suit. okay. He's got a little center, little glowing piece right there. Yeah, his I palm mean, is glowing. Oh yeah, that's that too. Okay, and he has no Golra. Okay, it's kind of okay. I can see it. <laughs> no, it's totally Iron Man. Anyway, so let's move on to the final section, Tom. The final section. We're gonna wrap this up. Um, and we have three ratings. All right, for our scale, we have the the art and layout. All right, and we have the fluff. And we've got the crunch, all right? So these are all rated on a scale of C- all the way up to A+, with a range, with C- being a hard pass, and a A+, being this is all that matters now. Okay, so let's start with the, the art and layout. We don't need it. We've talked about it. Um, so, Michael, what's your art and layout score? Uh, so the art, pretty low. Uh, layout, I didn't have any problems with it. It's got charts where it needs to have charts and i think uh someone did mention there's no index i I didn't catch it myself but someone on twitter was talking about how there's no index to the book which is silly so i'm going to say overall i'm going to basically make that a b minus combined okay all right b minus brad you want to go next yeah i i kind of agree with that uh the yeah the lack of that index is especially for something as dense as eberron that's pretty crucial okay yeah the the um with with me, I think I'm gonna go with. I'll give it a. I'll give it a B because I'm gonna be one better than you all, oh. more positive. <laughs> and because um, I don't have the whole history with Everon, so I wasn't able to clearly pinpoint what was. I, there was definitely some recycled art I could definitely see, but I I'm sure I didn't have the fine the the fine tooth comb that you all had. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a B for you know. They use a lot of recycled art, and there's no index, but a lot of the layout I did appreciate. So, all right, Shane. Uh, that's going to be a C for me, okay. Um, which I think is the lowest grade. Um, but it is specifically like whatever the art. I you know, it's not the end of the world for me. It's the the lack of an index because of the way this book is designed, and because of the way that it sh- it throws so many like points of reference in random places. Like, because they're meant to be, like, as you read through it, right, like, they should jog your memory or they should, like, inspire you or excite you, but they're impossible to find afterwards. Like, I want to know what was that, what was the name of that organization that, like, does the, like, dirty spy work for Breland? Uh, is it in the Breland section or is it in the, like, patron section? It's the Dark Lanterns. I should be able to, like, find that easily and it's just hard to do without an index. So, like, I think that is actually makes this book harder to use as a GM. Yes, definitely super valid. I went, went to, has anyone purchased this on the DMs, not the DMs Guild, um, D&D Beyond? Yeah, I have it on D&D Beyond. Can you search? I don't use D&D Beyond, so I'm not sure. Can you search within D&D Beyond? Yes. So not that that's the that not that that's the answer because it should be provided in the book, but that's definitely a a workaround, I guess. Yeah, buy the book twice and then you have an index. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> 
cash money. All right. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> um, so, all right. So the, let's talk about the fluff. All right. The fluff. Um, this is the, how we feel that they laid out the, not laid out, but the information that they gave you. Was it interesting? Did it grab you? And then, um, is it enough to run something with? I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and start. I'm going to give it an A minus. All right. Just because I've kind of, I'm not huge into fantasy games right now, but once I started reading this book, it was one of the few D and D fifth edition books where I was actually enjoying really reading through it. Like I was like t- turning the pages. Like, my wife was like, are you reading that book again? Like, like just nonstop. I was just crushing this book and I enjoyed it. And so to me, when I'm enjoying reading this information, that that's good. So I'm going to give it an A minus. So I love this. Michael. So going into this, my fear is that because I'm such a diehard Eberron fan, that my opinion would be just like, it wouldn't matter because it's just obviously I love it. But I found the book to not be maybe it's just like it's like a Marvel movie. I'm so excited. I need to see it twice before I can really review it. I need to read it again. But my first read through the stuff's there. It's it's Eberron. I love it. But it wasn't presented to me the way I I hoped it would be. And I don't know how to explain that. So I'm gonna give it an A minus. I love it. But it it wasn't as good as I had hoped it would be, and I'm glad you as a neophyte did enjoy it, because that's my fear, is that people who've not read it before are going to pick it up in those first 20 pages. They're going to be like, ah, sorry, and then just stop. Okay. Um, Shane? It, I I loved it. Um, This is like a, a firm A for me, because like it caught me right back into Eberron. I've just finished a campaign of Eberron right before this book came out, and I'm like... <laughs> cool we're doing warforged colossus next like i don't care <laughs> like like that's cool like and and then just reading through it like it just reminded me of all these other little stories of Eberron that like i would love to like tell or build out or you know write adventures for or whatever so like I, it was super like inspired me um that's what i look for in campaign settings so i yeah yeah it's it definitely you're you're swingy you're we we're going the full range tonight for shame yeah yeah no i i parts of this book i love parts of it i don't that's fair that is absolutely fair so brad what'd you think about the fluff here i'm i'm right with shane on it you know they they nailed that portion of it it was very well done i i i enjoyed it um overall you know i'm i'm very happy with that okay so what's that rating then you going a yeah Okay, A. A it is. All right. So then we move on to the mechanical bits. So the crunch. So this is the section where we're going to rate how this stacks up with the rest of the the fifth edition stuff that's been released. And not necessarily from a balanced perspective, but is this a lot of crunch? Is this stuff that we think is interesting rules, cool rules? Are there new races that we want to see in our games? And are there just interesting bits that we think that they added? So, Shane, you're going first this time. What's the what's the rating for the crunch? I'm like torn between a B plus and an A minus. Um, I think like the race stuff is fine. I think they gutted Dragon Marks too far um, to bring it into like fifth edition power lines. Um, and so like I don't like them as subclasses. I never liked it as a subclass. Um, I still don't. I think the artificer is great. Uh, the magic items are cool. The monster stat blocks are wonderful. So overall, like I'm right on the line there. Okay, fair enough. But th- that's because dragon marks are super important to Eberron. Um, 
like they should be rad and powerful and like i don't think they come across that way no they don't that's where they like that's a big problem yeah definitely agree with that there is no way i'm sacrificing my sub race for that so um michael the crunch uh again crunch is not my forte but what i saw i liked i'm going to give it a b plus if they did more than 5% discounts for the houses, it would have been an A minus. Okay. <laughs> Got them. <laughs> if, if they only would have asked you, you know. Yeah. You're giving up your subclass for a 5% discount for one house in certain situations. Okay. Brad, what was the, what's the crunch rating here? I, I think I'm going to go with a B. There, there's some, there's some good stuff. It'll definitely bleed over into um, other games that, that I run and play. Um, I, I'll have maybe I'll report back more after after our, uh, you know our Eberron game gets off the ground and and I, I really get to see those mechanics in play. Um, but right now I'm, I'm going to go with a B. Okay, C- cool. I'm going to go with an A minus. Um, I really love the Artificer. I like those classes that give you a lot of stuff, and this gives you a lot of stuff. And just the whole idea of the turret, like, there's like a health turret. Like, it just seems like you, it's just always ever, at first I was like, this isn't right. It's giving people temporary HP every round, and no. And it does. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to give that an A minus. So, anyway, that has been the oh no, there's a there's a, the overall rating. Oh, the overall rating. We have to find. We have to judge this more. Okay, yes. all right. I'll go ahead. And, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll break the ice. I'm gonna go ahead. All right, and I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a B plus. All right. There's a lot of I enjoyed it, but there's a lot of stuff that the information it took a while to really absorb it and then there's obviously if the art was spot on this would definitely be an a um michael so i gave r to b minus i gave fluff an a minus i gave crunch a b plus so clearly my overall rating is an a plus because this is eberron (laughs) (laughs) okay i would expect nothing less all right fair enough all right shane all right, since you stepped on my bit, Michael. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess I'll give it an. I guess I'll give it an honest rating. I think. Um, so here's here's what I'll say is I think this is an A, um, but I do want to call out the fact that they already clipped me for twenty dollars for Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, which has a lot of repeated content in here, and also like they didn't go back and fully update the artificer that was promised inside Wayfinder's Guide. So if you've already paid $20 to then have to turn around and pay $50 more for this, feels like bad commercial instincts. Um, <laughs> like, it just feels bad as a customer, and I hate that. Like, I feel like I got taken advantage of. Um, that's not about the writers or the book itself. That's about Wizards of the Coast. Um, so that's, you know, whatever. That is what it is. But um, I think the book is an A. So on that point, did... Did you re-download? Did you re get your new copy of the Wayfinder's Guide? I, I got an email that so so you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I got an email that it was updated. It just hadn't gone to look at it yet. Yeah. So they they put all the new the the new race like final stats were updated, and they added the alchem uh, the alchemist 
subclass for the artificer. Oh, okay. Uh, so the, the artificer with the alchemist is in there. Um, and so you don't get the artillerist or the battlesmith. Hmm. I would have loved if the updated Wayfinder's Guide was just a PDF of the Eberron last. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been amazing. All right, <laughs> but you can only wish. So, Brad, what's the, what's the rating? You're- I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with, with overall. Um, I'm gonna go with an A minus. I definitely. I, I really liked it. Um, I'm looking forward to using it in the future, and it's a good book. It it had some some flaws, and we've kind of you know, beat those to death already. But uh, it, it's a solid book. You know, if you're, if you're looking to get into Eberron, it's a great place to start. Uh, you know, there's, and there is a metric ton of additional material beyond this book that, you know, is that at your favorite local game store and those use book bins. All right. Well, well, there it is. I think we can all agree that we definitely all enjoyed this book. It's got its issues, uh, but Overall, um, it's it's pretty solid. As somebody new to Eberron, I am happy with it. So that makes me happy, Tom. Okay, all right, there you go. I mean, yeah, I mean, you the 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 old guard passing on the baton. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though. It's Don't the one. Don't call of the... me old, man. <laughs> it's it's all theoretical. It's you know, it's the it's hypothetical. You know. Anyway, that's. Thanks, Shane, for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, thank you so very <laughs> well, much. Thank you for having me. All right, Michael, cl- close us out with what you do. Yeah, so again, so we ended up going almost a full two hours, which we did not anticipate doing, but I still would imagine that the TPT cast was more granular. So if you want to deep dive even more into the book, please go listen to the Total Party Thrill episode. There will be links in our show notes to that episode specifically. And if there's any others that you want me to link to because they're relevant, let me know, Shane. I'll put those in there as well. If you are a patron of the RPG Academy, we are going to be giving away a copy of this book to one of our patrons. So if you are a patron as of January 1st, uh, so please consider supporting us, the RPG Academy, patron.com slash the RPG Academy for even $1 a month. You get a bunch of extra special behind the scenes, limited content. Currently, uh, Tom and Brad are doing a breakdown episode by episode of The Mandalorian. (laughs) Again, thank you everyone for joining us tonight. Thank you for listening to our The Review of the Eberron. I believe our next the review is going to be the revised cipher rule book. So with that, we're all going to give the awkward wave out and say goodbye. But remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right. <laughs> Yay. All right. Awesome. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook 
or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.